0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com So last week, Miriam, last week, yeah, we had this little discussion about what I said about that That there was a unbelievable targum that says that when Amram and Yocheved separated, right? When Amram and Yocheved separated... What happened? Yocheved married someone else. I mean, Amr married someone else, and he had two children, Eldad and Medad. And he, and, and there was a kasha. Somebody asked, how could that be? And the answer was that it happened outside of Eretz Yisrael. And you asked the question. But I thought that if a man gets divorced from a woman, if the woman gets remarried and gets divorced, she can't go back to the husband. If the man gets remarried and gets divorced, and his wife didn't remarry, he could go back and, and marry his wife. You are one hundred percent correct. So, it bothered me. So, again, the luck is like this: If a woman and a man get divorced, and the man goes and gets married to another woman, even if he has a hundred kids with that woman, and then he gets divorced from that woman or that woman dies, now he wants to go back to his original wife. He says, "I made a mistake. I want to remarry you." Right? If she didn't get married, he could remarry her, but. If they got divorced and she got married to someone else and then got divorced from that somebody and wants to come back to her husband, she can't. So if she remarries anybody after she gets divorced, she can't go back to that husband. If he remarries, he could go back to that wife. So it bothered me. Then what's the question about Eretz Yisrael? He didn't do anything wrong. Right? He didn't do anything wrong. Why do you have to say, because he was outside of Eretz Yisrael, that's why he was allowed to come back and marry her. He was allowed to marry her if he's the one that had the kids, right? Okay, Yonason Ben If you want to look this up, and you probably will, I got a lot of emails on this. Yonason Benaziel Aziel, Aleph Yidalef in Babidbar, Pasik, Chavav that says, "Yesharoshnei Anoshim b'Machan Hashem Echad Eldad." One's name was Eldad; Rishem Echad Meidan. Says the Targum Yonason. Ishtayaru, train trained Guvran b'Mashrisa. Two men remained. Shmeid Echad Eldad. One name was Eldad; Rishmei Tinyan. The second name was Medad, Benai, the children of El Safon Parnach. You ready? Here we go. The Lay Yochebed. Not Amram got remarried, so the Yonisid. Yochebed got remarried. Bras Levi, the daughter of Levi. Bisman, at the time, the Pacha Avra, Amram Gavra. That when, when Amram separated, from her, then the Sibas lay, and he remained separated, until she gave birth to Moshe. So the Yonis and Benaziel says that he didn't get remarried and have two children, she did. She got divorced, separated, married somebody else, had these two children, Eldon and Medar, which means that Misha and Aaron and Miriam actually had two brothers from their mother, half-brothers, which nobody knows. Right? So, therefore, that's why the question was, how could she remarry her husband? She remarried after they got divorced. So, that was the terats that was outside Eretz Yisrael. <coughs> so, fine. Great. Now, Sir Red Wallstein, so what you said last week wasn't true. You said last week he got remarried. Yerzim Benazil says she got remarried. What? She was his aunt. Right. The whole marriage was, was an issue, and that's why it says that, that because of Moshe Rabbeinu, he realized that it wasn't an issue because Moshe Rabbeinu was born. But that's a whole different subject. Now, let's go to the chidah. What does the chidah say? Because I have to always look at the chidah. So the chidah says the following. If you want to look it up, the chidah, it's in chidah says, Amram, he argues with the Yenis Ben He argues. And he says, Amran Avi Moshe, Amran the father of Moshe, perished me separated from his wife, the Nasa Not she married someone, he married someone. Okay. And he says, unbelievable. Who <laughs> me and I wrote, Hillel, Hillel re- wrote, He said, I saw the grave in Israel. Of Eldad and Medad, while well, you cost of lamb and it says on the grave, Eldad and Achi Aharon Minhaav, says on the grave that Eldad and Medad were the brothers of Aaron from the same father, the low Minhaim, not from the mother. So there is a machoikas. One says that his mother remarried. And that would be illegal, but the only reason she could do it because she was out of Israel. And the other one said, no, it wasn't the mother that he remarried, and he had these two children. And the third one says, I don't know what you're talking about. That, and the Medrash Rabbid says that Eldad was the son of Kislon, who came from Binyamin, and Medrash was the son of Kumiel, who came from Ephraim, and they didn't come from Yochaved, and they didn't come from Amram. So there's a three-way machlekas, three-way argument, who this Eldad and Medad were, but I want to make it clear that what I said last week. So there's one man that holds that it was that he separated. If he separated, it wasn't a problem for him to come back because he's allowed to. But there's another rabbi that says she separated, and that was a problem because she's not once she marries someone else, she can't come back to him. And he answers that it wasn't an Eretz throw, and they only kept the mitzvahs before Matan Torah. They kept the mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't keep arayas the mitzvahs of man and wife. They didn't keep them in in um, in Mitzrayim. The they did keep it. We know they didn't they didn't they didn't they didn't um, they weren't with the mitzrim. They their their yichas was straight. They weren't with the mitzrim. But as far as the actual halachas in Judaism, a sister if you can marry a sister, all these different things. So um, we, we we know that Shimon right married Dina. So Shimon married Dina. With a real sister. Dina came from Leah. Shimon came from Leah. Dina came from Yaakov. Shimon came from Yaakov. So we see that outside, outside Eretz Yisrael, that they were they were allowed to get married. Until, actually, sister and brother, I believe, until they got to Tyra. And that was one of the problems on their way out of Mitzrayim, that they were very upset about that riyas of marrying within your family. Because they knew that when they get to Tyra, you wouldn't be able to marry within your family. And and Moshe Beno had to, like, a little bit, whatever, had to discuss it with them. So, so... What, half of what I said last week was right. The other half was wrong. A man who gets divorced and remarries someone else, if he gets divorced or that person dies, he can come back. No matter how many times he remarries, he can always come back to his wife as long as his wife did not remarry. she remarries, then it can't happen anymore. Okay, clear? Clarified? Fine. Okay. Now let's go to this week's Pasha. So this week's Pasha is Va'era. Right? So it's a very interesting... Very interesting opening Pasuk. And it says the following. Ba'idab elokim el Moshe. And Hashem spoke to Moshe. Ba'yomah and he said love to him. Ani Hashem. What are you talking about? Moshe knows you're Hashem. You appeared to him many, many times in the Midbar. You told him to go to Mitzrayim. You told him a lot of things. What is this going on? And it says, Ba'idab elokim el Moshe. Hashem spoke to Moshe. So if someone's speaking to you, you know who's speaking to you. And then, if I, if, if Hashem's saying, Hashem spoke to Moshe, she'd say, Why are you switching from the name of Din, which is Elohim, to the name of Rachaman, which is Hashem? And then Hashem gives him a little bit more, Moser. And he says, I appear to, to your forefathers, Hashem I never told them I had a name, Yudke Ravke. Well, what's, what's going on over here? And that's the lesson tonight. And it's really very important. So, the, the, what's going on, you have to go back to last week's parsha. In last week's parsha, what happened? Hashem came to Moshe Abenu. Hashem told Moshe Abenu, I want you to go to Mitzrayim. I want you to tell the Jews that I'm going to take them out of Mitzrayim. They have nothing to worry about. That's it. We're done. The Gullus is over. We're out of here. So, Moshe Abenu was very excited. He said, they're not going to listen to me. He said, they're not going to believe me. Hashem said, what's in your hands? He said, amata. Rashi says, Hashem said, I should take that amata and whack you one. Because you're saying lashon on the Jews, saying that they won't listen, and actually when he came to Mitzrayim, the they did listen. By Yomim, they believed him and they did listen. And what happened? He came to Paro and he tells Paro, God is taking out the Jews, and we want to go out of Mitzrayim to pray to Him and to bring sacrifices to Him. And Paro says, "Nirpim Haim, Nirpim, you're a bunch of lazy bums, and you don't want to go out to pray, and you don't want to go out to give korbanos." You just don't want to work. So I'm going to teach you all a lesson. Until now, we gave you the natural resources to build the bricks. We gave you the straw. Now, you want to be lazy? I'm going to teach you a lesson. You're going to have to cut your own straw. So things got a lot worse. So they came running to my shamanu, And they're like, yeah, thank you. We really appreciate you coming to Mitraim. Until now, we had hard work. But, but they gave us the straw. Now we have to cut our own straw. Go home. Go back to the desert. Who needs you? So listen to what happens. So Moshe Hashem. Why did you do such a terrible thing to this nation? Tani. why did you send me? Umi since I got to Paro, the Dabe to speak in your name. He, they made it much worse for the nation. God, you promised you're going to save your nation. You didn't save your nation. So this is like a big chutzpah. This is not, this is not simple. Wish your is going to Hashem and he's say, I don't understand you. You made everything worse. Everything was much better. Who you sent me over here. Why are you doing bad to Kla Yisrael? And by the way, didn't you say you're going to take them out? You didn't take them out either. Chutzpah. You don't talk to God that way, right, Nancy? You don't, wouldn't talk don't to really God. Not. No way. So so how is Moshe Rabbeinu opening his mouth to God and talking like that? Write a poem about it. You're going to write a poem about it. Okay, after the Sheer. <laughs> so it's a very good question. So Hashem said back then, really, so you're asking me questions and you're yelling at me? So Hashem said, fine. But now, you're going to see what I'm going to do to paro. That that is a uh, a prot. How would you say a prot? Um, a detail, which when you say a prot, it means it's it's cutting off something else. So it means now you will see. What does that mean? Hashem was saying because you were so fresh and you talk like this, now you will see me take the Jews out of Mitzrayim, but you will not see me take the Jews into Eretz Israel. So now you'll get to see it, but later you will not get to see it. So what's so what's going on over here? So first of all, it's 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 what Hashem loves. Because Moshe Benu, at the end of the day, was only interested in Klai Yisrael. And therefore he said, I don't understand. You set me on a mission. I did what I'm supposed to do. And my buddies, my boys, my, my nation, got, it got worse. So I want to know why. I want to know why you made it worse. Well, he shouldn't have talked like that. So in the beginning of the parsha, it starts off, by El that name is Din. It's very strict. It's a strict name. It's a, it's, a, it's a name where you get judged. And Hashem said, I ani Hashem. Don't you know who I am? I'm Yudke Vavke. I'm Rachamim. So if you see, if you see something right now that doesn't look good, and it looks like I went back on my word, and things got worse, but I Hashem. I'm Hashem. And I'm always the same Hashem. We all say it every morning. Shema Yisrael, listen everybody. Hashem, Yudke Vavke, Rachamim, pity. L-O-keinu, din judgment, Hashem echad judgment. Yud, the name of Yud, the name of Elokim and the name of Yudkevavkei Hashem echad. It's all Hashem, it's all pity, and it's all mercy. So Hashem said to him, Abraham, you'd say, I never had to show them this name. They never asked me. I told them. I told Yaakov, I told Abraham, I told Yitzchak to go up on Akedah, I told Yaakov to travel, to do, and everything I told him, he never asked me, well, where's your Rachamim? You show up! And you're like, what's going on over here? So Hashem was giving Moshe heavy, heavy, heavy Moser. Okay. So I want to tell you, I was in, um, I was in Toronto last week, and I had this chus, it was really, a very very big schus. There's a there's a yeshiva there for deaf kids. Now I saw this yeshiva last year. Yeshiva's been around around 15 years. the 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 head rabbi of the yeshiva is is also deaf. His wife is deaf, and these 12 13 kids are deaf that are learning there. Happiest guys you ever met in your life. Happier than happy. 15 16 17 18 year old guys. Okay. So I get a call from the from, uh, the, the interpreter who interprets for them. And she says to me, you know, Reverend Walston, normally our school prays with the yeshiva next door together with them. What the boys would really love if they can make a private minion now that you're in Toronto and just dab in with you. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know in my head. I don't know, minion, they don't, they can't speak. So, I, and they can't hear. So I don't know if I'm yaitse, kaddish, manasre, is it really a minion? And then I'm like, are you crazy? You got a chance to go diving with 12 deaf kids? And you're wondering about if it's a minion? Believe me, the is there in that minion more than anybody else. So I'm like, you got it. I'll be there. So she called me up the, the night when I got to Toronto um, Thursday night. She said, you don't understand. The kids are so excited about, because normally they're down with the big minion. They have their own minion with Rabbi Waller's I'm like, okay. And then you're going to speak afterwards. They have a signer, a woman does a signer. I said, fine, no problem. So I come to the Minion, and they're all excited, I get hugs, and they're so, they're so happy. Anyone who ever gets down, you gotta take, get on a plane, I, I promise you it's more, it's, it, it's, cheaper than any therapist or medicines or anything. Just get on a plane, go to Toronto, and just go to that class. They're not normal, they are so happy, they are so loving, This, so, I mean, I never got so many hugs from guys in my life. It was like, Unbelievable, they're unbelievable, these kids. So, I come to Davin with them. The Chalim gets up, he has a cochlear implant, so he could speak a little bit better than the rest of the kids. And he starts, and he starts, he starts to Davin. And pretty much, I, I think he says the words better than most of the guys that I hear Davin and Flapwash. And he, he says the whole Davin, they're all Davin, of course, some of them can speak, some of them can't, whatever it is. And anyway, we come to Shema Yisrael. And we come to Shema Yisrael. and they're all saying Shema as good as they can with their hands over their eyes. And I just broke down and started crying. Because I'm thinking to myself, it's so not fair. Shema Yisrael means, listen Yisrael, they can't hear. So I'm like, Hashem, how could you do this? Like They're they're saying, Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael. Hashem okay, no Hashem Echad. So I'm like, how could they say Shema? Shema means, listen Yisrael, they can't hear. So I just broke down that. I just broke down and started crying. And I was like, sitting there, mom is crying like, Hashem, I don't understand. How do these kids say Shema Yisrael? Right? So, but, you continue, that. which is what the Malachim say, and then the next passage you say, is Vahavta, right? Hashem B'chol and I'm like, Hashem's telling us, right, that what does Shema Yisrael mean, doesn't mean listening with your ear, it means listening with your heart, Hafta is the first thing it says, V'chol with your heart, and I'm like, man, it's deafening in here, there's so much noise in here, because their hearts, Oh my gosh, those hearts are unbelievable. So, it's not your ears. It's not your ears. It's your hearts. And I stopped crying. I was like, hey. they got one up on me. Like, you know, I think I hear something. They hear a lot more. And after Davini, I got up and I, and I spoke. And I told them the story of the, of the elevator, which I said a few weeks ago. And, you know, the guy who, everybody who gives up and there's one step left and he steps on it and whatever. And I told them this whole story and, and they, and they loved it. And um, it was, it was, it gave me the energy to go through Friday, Shabbos, Sunday. I was on such a high that I, I cannot explain, it, I cannot explain it to you. And I got up and I told the people, I spoke to a lot of very big groups of people and I said, I want you to know that you're not going to ever have a hurricane and you're very much protected in Toronto. As long as those boys are in that yeshiva, that minion, those guys are learning, you have nothing to worry about. Halavai, we had such a place. For our kids that are deaf in in New York, what an unbelievable place! And this place is like around for ten years, fifteen years. They're already married, and there are fifteen Koilel deaf boys married that are living in Eretz Yisrael and have a deaf Koilel yeshiva that is an extension of this yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. And I said to them, you know, these kids are living, they're learning in a trailer. I'm like, you should build them a castle. They deserve to have a castle. But on the other end, it's very sad when you sit there and and they you know they're struggling I'm not going to tell you they're not struggling they're happy but they're struggling and they're trying to talk to me and I don't understand everything that they're saying and I don't really know how to read signs but it was it was it was an unbelievable opportunity so and I'm going to tell you a story about a, a deaf kid today but we can't ask questions and that's what Akash Baruchu was was saying to my Shabano you can ask anything you want he says but it doesn't make sense what you're asking because, because if I'm god Right and, and I bring people who could hear into the world. And I bring people who can't hear in the, wor- in the world. I'm the same Hashem. It's not like I made a mistake. I ran out of parts. You know, all of a sudden I ran out of parts. So I couldn't get this person to hear. Or this person to see. Right? Or this IQ and that IQ. Everything is with a cheshben. And what you see is not what you get. And that's what he was telling Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu was much bigger than we are. And Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, I don't know. You sent me to save them. You sent me to make it easier. Look what happened. It got harder. What's going on over here? And Hashem's like, hold on a second. Elohim is Hashem. Hashem Echad. I'm the same one. So if I'm doing this, I'm doing it. It's not happening by accident. But I want Paral to make it harder because Paral's going to get a potch now. He's going to get 10 Makos and 250 Makos by the yam. So I'm setting this up so I was teaching seminary today and a girl said yeah it's very good Wallstein. you know when things that happen that are bad so you're like you know you don't understand you walked into the middle of the story I said let me tell you the, the perfect parable the perfect muscle so you can understand what I'm saying so this little kid first time ever comes to the doctor and his parents bring to the doctor of course what do they tell him how do you get a kid to the doctor doctor has candies doctor has lollipops and in the doctor's office, there's a video playing of Uncle Maishi And there's a bunch of toys on the floor. And dolls and books, right? Oh, we set up those kids. You walk into a doctor's office. You're all sitting there calmly, eating their lollipop, reading their books, right? You know that within 10 minutes, that kid is going to have a shot right in his thigh. <laughs> but right now, we'll make it look all nice, right? Or they're going to stick a toothpick, uh, a Q-tip. Down his throat, and he's going to gag while they do that strep culture. Poor kid, and it hurts because you have a sore throat usually when they do a strep culture. We all know that as adults, but those kids don't know it. <laughs> and we're like, "Mommy took you to the doctor. You want a lollipop? Why don't you watch Uncle Maisie?" Right? Sounds like we're little, we're evil, but we're not evil. So this little kid says, "Ma, can I go to the bathroom?" Sure, it's down the hall to the right. So this little two, three-year-old kid goes to the bathroom, and as he's walking to the bathroom. He walks by one of the patient rooms. And the door's a little bit open. So this little kid is curious. So he peeks inside. And what does he see? He sees this little boy about his age. And he's crying. And the mommy is holding down the little boy's hands. And the tati is holding down the little boy's feet. And there's this tall guy in a white coat. And he's got this thing in his hand. Oh my gosh! It's a six-inch needle on top. But he says to himself, probably he's going to squirt some medicine like my mommy does because she also has that syringe, right? He's going to squirt some medicine in the little boy's mouth and the little boy doesn't want the medicine and that's why his mommy and Tati are holding him down and he's watching with his big blue eyes are open and the doctor says, you got him? He's not moving? And the parents are like, yeah, we got him. Hurry up! And he takes this needle and he sticks it Sorry for all you people who are going to faint. Right? And he takes the needle and he sticks it in this little kid, two, three year old's thigh. And the kid's like, and the little boy who's standing watching is like, and he runs to get the bathroom. He doesn't doesn't have to go anymore. Right? And he runs the other way and he's like, I gotta get out of here. Mommy, help me, help me. And the mother's like, no, no, what happened? What happened? What would you see? Uh, uh, baby, uh, mommy touching, uh, holding, big man, you stick. Ah! That kid is never walking into that room. We know that, right? Forget about it. And the mother calms him down. Just, just sit down. It's going to be okay. That's not what they're going to do to you. <laughs> so the kid's sitting down, and his mom is shaking, and, and the doctor walks out. He's like, oh, no. And the doctor walks with the parents and the kid. And he says, listen, I'll see you next week. You know, we'll, 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 we'll check on him. And, and the, and the, and the, and the mother and father are like, you know, doc, you're the best. Thank you so much. The kid's like, my God, they're thanking the murderer, right? And then the parents say the thing that totally flips the kid out. He says, the parents say to the doctor, so how much do we owe you? A hundred? Oh, thank you, doc. And the this mother's writing out a check and the kid's like, mommy? You're going to pay that bad man to hurt me? (laughs) Right? He's freaking out. Kid's freaking out. Now, any kid that would see this would freak out. I would freak out if I was a kid, right? But we are adults. So we're not two and a half year old children. So we know what went on in that room. And we know that had that child not received that needle, we find out later that that child had chas pneumonia. And that was a shot of penicillin because the regular pills of penicillin wouldn't have saved his life. Had he not gotten that shot that day, in two, three days from now, he wouldn't be on this world anymore. So we're paying the doctor. And we're saying thank you for the diagnosis. And we're saying thank you for the needle. And we're paying him for it. And we're coming back next week. This kid is the biggest terror he ever saw. You go into that room. They hold you down. Bad man sticks something in your thigh. You scream out of your brains. Right? And they think some lollipop after that's going to make me feel good, right? That's that's what the kid is thinking. So we we can understand a story like this as human beings. This is not a far fetched story. We understand the child, but we all we also understand why the parents have to hold him down, because if he moved, then he wouldn't have been able to give him that shot. So we have to understand that sometimes when things are not going. The way that we expect it to go, we have to understand that a kashboch well, who's the doctor. And I you. Oh, I heard that so many times, but that's what Hashem was yelling at Moshe Rabbeinu in this week's parsha. That's exactly what he was yelling. It looks bad. Till now, you had your, they gave you the, the the straw. Now you have to cut the straw. So it looks like you just walked into a room and things are getting worse. But I need Hashem. But I'm the one who's taking care of you. I'm the tati mommy who's bringing the kid to the doctor. So don't go by what you see. There's a lot besides what you see going on, and that's what Akles Baruch Hu was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's why we cannot make decisions on what we see because we're walking in, you know, to, into the middle of the story. So I'll tell you another story. So this kid's freaked out. So in a hospital, there was this man, and he's sitting on a wheelchair, <laughs> and there's a nurse standing next to him. And he's screaming, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, please give me a drink, give me a drink. And the nurse runs and she brings him an ice cold can of Coke. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're like, wow, what a nice nurse. She ran She ran so fast. And she got in this car and he's like, oh, thank you. And he gobbles down the whole thing. And you're like... Wow, you take your kid into the doctor's office and, and you're watching this whole thing, that I just picture I just told you, and you're thinking this doctor is terrible. He's, you know, the kid's thinking needles, needles, and the kid's like, wow, outside that lady in the white coat, she's so nice. That old man was saying, I'm thirsty, and she ran and she got him a, a cold coat. Wow, this is a crazy world. One guy gives you a shot with a white coat, he hurts you, and the other one in the white coat, that nice lady, you ask her for a Coke, and you get a Coke. This is amazing. And they come out of the doctor's office and on the way down the hall, there's a whole big mice and a some mice and the old man that asked for the coke is laying there dead. And the cops have the nurse in handcuffs. And the little kid's looking up and he's like, I don't understand. The needle guy, he gets paid for hurting people. The nice nursey who gave the guy the soda, she's in handcuffs. This is a crazy world we live in, everybody. What's going on? So the parents asked the cop, why is she in handcuffs? The cop says, that's a very bad woman. And like, why? See, she's his nurse. She's been taking care of him for years. He's a multimillionaire. She also knows that he's a crazy diabetic. So what did she do? He asked her for a drink. He gave her a can of pure sugar, a can of Coke. She murdered him because she got him to write in his will, we've been watching this lady. And all his money was going to her. So here was a chance in the hospital when nobody was watching to give him a can of Coke and put him out of his misery. She's a murderer. So, yeah, oh, we don't have to go into the big details, <laughs> but she's a poet. She's into details. So at the end of the day, you have two pictures. There. You have a guy sticking a needle into someone, which looks terrible. He's saving his life. You have a lady giving a, a, a thirsty guy a can of Coke, which looks like the nicest thing. She murdered him. Because you don't know. You just see the picture. You don't know what's going on. What's going on. You know, they, they have another story that a, a Martian comes down to see what Earth is like and he happens to land on a hospital roof. And he happens, the first place he walks in is, the, is an open heart surgery room. And he sees six people with their hands in some guy's chest. And there's, and there's blood all over the place. And they're cutting. And they have a sword to cut his ribs. And, they, and the alien's like, we're going back to Mars now! They're crazy! They cut their people into pieces! And there's six guys hanging around, and they put their hands into his body. Meanwhile, they're saving his life. They're doing open heart surgery. So, we could, I could give you a million examples of things that look to you as being bad, but they're really being good. This is what the lesson that I wanted to tell, to tell Moshe before he goes anywhere. Before he goes into the midbar, before he goes anywhere, you need to know. And that's what happened. That's what happened by the by, by the by the miraglim. They went into Eretz They saw people dying. This happens the whole time in the Torah. They saw people dying. Wherever they went, it was a Leviah. They went to this town, Leviah. This town, Leviah. This town, Leviah. So what did they do? They came back and the Jews said, so how's your trip to Israel? Terrible. Why? It's, a, it's an Eretz Echlez Yisheva. Everybody dies. You live in Israel, you die. They said, what do you mean? Every town we went to, they're having funerals. Why? Because Hashem made it that each town should have a funeral. When they came to spy, Everybody was busy with the dead bodies, busy with, with the funerals, so they wouldn't see the, 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 the spies. So he did it for them. He did it for them. It says that EO died, and whatever. He did it for them, so that nobody would see that they're spies. They come back and use it against Hashem. It's terrible. Don't go there. Everybody's dying. Because Bacha was trying to teach Moshe Rabbeinu a very, very important lesson here, that what you see is not what you get. I want to read you a story, it's just very interesting that uh this is an unbelievable safer by the way, whoever doesn't have it on the pasha, it's a little shabach in English, it has stories. But Yitzhak Zilberstein he brings down stories and stories and it's it's just a safer you should have. It. So whoever's looking, watching, if you learn this every Shabbos, you'll have a lot to say at the table. Anyway, was just interesting that when I decided to prepare this year after um, Toronto, so this week he has a, a thing called the deaf mute child gives up sock. So I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. I mean it's not beautiful, but it's beautiful that it's such a story. Because he a crazy story. Listen to this story. So he says that a woman once came to the Morami Prague. Everyone knows the Morami Prague. Morami Prague was the one that made the guy. Okay, my parents also made one. Okay, but anyway. So so this woman comes to the to the Morami Prague with a with a chicken. And in those days, he used to ask questions. He didn't just flip the chicken out. He used to ask questions if it's kosher or not. So Moral, we Prague knew that the chicken was kosher. But he didn't say anything to the woman. And he said to go to a certain house. And in that house is a child that's deaf and mute. He doesn't hear and he doesn't speak. And ask him if the chicken's kosher. So she said to Moral, but he doesn't speak and he doesn't hear. So he's not going to hear my question and he's not going to give me an answer. Robert Pratt said, go to the deaf mute boy, ask him if the chicken is kosher. So she didn't understand why. So she goes to this house, and there's a child there, and he was nine years old. He never in his life spoke a word. So she asks him the question, she shows him the chicken, he looks closely at the chicken, and he clearly says, kosher. Never said a word in his life. Immediately after he says the word kosher, he dies. The little boy dies. When the people heard the story, so they went to the Morami Prague and said, what happened here? Why did you send her to a deaf mute? And why did he die? I heard this story before I read it here. It's a very famous story. So he said, listen listen to how careful you have to be. He said that in the previous Gilgal, before this boy came down to the world, um, the the soul of this child belonged to a great rav who was a Tamachacham and a Tzaddik. When the soul of the tzaddik, this Rav, came to the next world, so he wanted to go into Eden, And there was a Malach there, and the Malach said, you cannot go into Eden. Why? Because once, this Rav was the one who passed for his whole city. Now you have to remember that those days, a chicken was worth a lot of money. You didn't have a lot of food. So a woman came to him on Erev Shabbos, who was almost Shabbos, and she showed him the chicken, and he didn't have time to really look into it. So he told her, ah, it's not kosher. Give it to the guy. When really the chicken was kosher. And he caused her pain that that Shabbos, because it was so close to Shabbos, she couldn't get another chicken. She had a loss of money because she gave the chicken to the guy. She didn't have no chicken on Shabbos. So the malach did not let him go into Ganei then. You held back a chicken from a family on Shabbos. You can't go into Ganei then. So they brought him in front of the bed in I, I, I know this story. I heard this story from the Morami project. It's in its safer. So they brought him to the Bethlehem of Shemayim, this tzaddik. And they said, we have a problem. You deserve to go and Gan but you got one bad little, one bad thing that you did. You paskin on this chicken, and this lady didn't have a Shabbos. She didn't have a chicken for Shabbos. So so we have to send you down to the next world, and you have to fix this. So the, this tzaddik said, but I'm scared. If I go down to the next world, uh, I came up here at tzaddik with one Avera. When we go back to the next world, who knows how many more Averas I'm going to do? So Bezalel said, "What do you want us to do?" So he said, "Make me a deaf mute." The halacha is, the halacha in the Torah is that a cheresh shait a katan, a person who's a deaf mute, or a person who's Down syndrome, or a person who's under thirteen, or a girl who's under twelve, is putam in and not chayav on any averus. If a if a Down syndrome child is mechallel shabbos, he's not chayav. If a deaf mute is mechallel shabbos, he's called a cheresh, right? And he's not he's not really chayav. Or a katan, a little kid, right? So, so listen to this. This rav made a deal in Shemayim. He said, "I'll go down to the next world, but I don't want to have the possibility of coming back up here worse than, I'm, than I am right now. So, make me a deaf mute. If you make me a deaf mute, then I can't. Then I'm not a chayiv in any area. So I know for sure that I'm going to come back to this world not worse than I am now." Moral Proch says, "I knew this boy." And I knew the Gilgo of his Neshama. So the minute he passed in on this chicken, kosher, he fixed what he did with that last chicken that he said, And there was no reason for him to live here anymore. And he went back to, he went back to Shemayim, and, 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 he was, and he was Misaki. And he told the parents of this child that even though it looks very terrible what happened, you should know that there's a Neshama waiting for you after you leave the world that's going to thank you. Because all the pain that you have, that you lost a child, all that pain, you gave up, you, you, you had all that pain in order to fix this child's neshama. So that you will get a very big reward, that you were chosen to go through this tragedy. But Lemaisa, because of you, and you brought him up because of you, he was misakin, And that love has a big portion in the next world, and you're going to get a part of it. There's another story that I heard. I heard this story maybe 10 years ago, maybe more than 10 years ago. And there's a very, very famous story with people, with people who did not have a child, a husband and a wife, did not have a child for like 20 years. And they came to this Rav, they used to always come to this Rav and beg and beg and beg, and he said, I'll give you a bracha, give you a bracha. This time they came and they said they want a haftacha. They want the Rebbe to promise that they're gonna have a child. And they pushed him and they pushed him and they pushed him, and he gave them a haftacha. A year later, They had a child. It's also a very famous story. They had a child two years later they came into the baby's room and the baby was dead. And they came back to the Rav and they said to the Rav, I don't understand. You're a big tzaddik. You knew what's going to happen with your brachad. You knew that we'd much rather have never had a child than to have one and lose one. Why did you give us that haftacha? She said, you know who your child was? And they're like, I yeah, was two years old. Well, how? Well, what could he be already? He says, "Let me tell you who he was. I had this in the safe room at home. I don't. I don't remember the name. It's a very, very famous cardinal, or maybe a pope. Okay, and who disappeared? It's a famous story. It was a pope, or or whatever who disappeared. And what happened here was." I, I remember the story. I might be a little bit off on some details, but the most important details I remember. What happened was like this there was a family, they gave birth to a Jewish kid, and the Cossacks came and attacked the whole city and took this baby. And the, I forgot what they called him, like the, the head of the, the city was called the, what was it called in Poland? The head of a city, the pirates. It was called the pirates, right? So he's like the governor of the city. He had no children. So he took, when the Cossacks had this kid, he took this kid as a Jew, he knew it was a Jew, he took this kid and he brought him up as his child, as his child, and this parts got bigger, bigger, and bigger, and this child got bigger, bigger, and bigger, and he ended up joining the church, and this kid went through the whole thing, and eh, eh, cardinal, this, and that, and he became either the Pope or the Archbishop. Very, very, very big. And somehow, his father... His real father found him, and this, he, I don't remember exactly how he broke through, but he started to learn with this pope. He started to learn with him, Tyra, and he proved to him either he looked like his father exactly, but he proved to him that he was his son. And he taught him Tyra. He taught him Tyra. He taught him Tyra. He was a very famous pope, very powerful, and he w- made sure that he did very good decrees for the Jewish nation. And all of a sudden, he disappeared. He disappeared. They couldn't find him anymore. I think it was even in Rome. He disappeared. Nobody ever found him. According to the Sefer, he went there to Israel, changed his name, and lived out the rest of his life as a from Jew. This Rebbe told this mother and father, "The child that you have is that man. Is that was that is that person? But when he came to Shemayim." They wanted to give him Ganadian, the highest place in Ghanaian, because he saved so many Jews. Every time they came to the church with, you know, a decree, kill the Jews or wipe out the Jews, he, in his own way, knowing that he was a Jew, would be able to break it until there was a suspicion that he might be Jewish or there's something wrong, that's when he disappeared. So, but they wouldn't let him into then. Why? Because he nursed from a non-Jew, because he was taken away from his mother when he was an infant. For two years, he nursed from a non-Jew, and his mouth had all that, that that nursing in it. So to correct it, he had to be nursed by a Jew, to correct being nursed for two years by a non-Jew, and the two years were now up, and therefore now he could go to Ganeiden, he could sit in Ganaden, he could give the shiurim, he could open his mouth in Ganaden. So you need to know, he told this woman, man, that what did I give you? I gave you... Every everybody every Nishama wanted to carry this baby because he is so holy what he did for the Jews. Everybody wanted to be the tikkun. I gave you the chance, he told the mother, to carry this baby for two years, to nurse this baby. You did the tikkun for this great, 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 great Sabbath. Do you know and now you're in pain, you had a child, you lost it. Do you know what's awaiting for you in then, what you did for him? Did you got him into the highest part of Eden? So that's what I call Sham. We shouldn't have to go through this to help others. We should help others that are alive and not have to lose anybody to help others. You can do that, believe me. But that's what Akash told him here. Akash said, I am Elohim. It looks to you like you're getting a needle. It looks to you like things are really bad. It looks to you like you're going through pain. Look what Israel is going through. Look what Klai is going through. Such a such a hard time right now. Like everything, I mean, that's what I do all day. There's so much pain. It's not normal. Seventh graders, eighth graders, marriages, sicknesses. It, it's, it's so out of control. And, oh, what are you doing? But in a way, we should be happy. Why should we be happy? Because when the Beit military was destroyed, Rabbi Akiva and his friends were walking on Harabayas, where the Kaisal is. And everything was desolate. And there were weeds growing. And all of a sudden, from behind one of the weeds or trees or rocks, a fox came out. And they started crying. Look what happened to our Beshamigdush, where if you walked into the Kodesh Kedoshim, you, you, you were killed immediately. And now, foxes are running in the Kodesh Kedashim. So they all started crying. So Rabbi Akiva started laughing, says the Gemara. He said, you're laughing? What are you laughing about? He said, because Zechariah HaNavi said in the Navi, there will be a day when foxes, that was when the Beis Hamidrash was still around, when foxes will run through the Har For But at the end of Zechariah said, there will be a day when the third Beis Hamidrash will be built. So now, we got past already the bad stuff. We got past the, the Navius that there's going to be a fox. So the next Navius is going to be Mashiach. So I'm laughing. The Gemara very clearly says, that kids will not look at their parents' face and parents will not look at their children's face. That it will be a door of aziz, of freshness, of people talking back to each other, of, of no respect whatsoever. So it's very sad when you see kids like that. And when you see relationships between parents and kids totally broken down, where kids leave at 13 and don't ever come back. It's terrible and it's tragic. But the Gemara says it's going to happen in the times of Mashiach. So even though it's very very sad that part is coming true. So then the second part has to come true too. And those two that we spoke about today Eldad and Medad if you look it up in Pasha B'Haloizcha Misnabe B'machaneh they were saying M'viyas in the M'achaneh they said one M'viyas that M'shra was going to die before he goes into Eretz Yisrael they said a second M'viyas that Yehoshua will become the, the, the new leader. But if you look in the Targum Yonason and you read it very carefully, the third Nevius, they say there will come a time when all, the, when all the Goyim will come against Jerusalem. And the Jews will all be, a lot of them will be in Yerushalayim. And there will be a war of Goyim and Magog. And the Melech HaMoshiach will go to war with who? Persia. Persia. Iran. And they will go to war with Iran and the Melech HaMoshiach be a huge war and people's eyes will melt in their sockets, their skin will burn off their bodies, that's what it says, nuclear, nuclear. totally nuclear, and it's going to happen and Klisha will be protected, Yerushalayim will be split, East Jerusalem, it's in the Navi, West Jerusalem, now, now, you shall have a split. It was never split. There's the Arabs, which is East Jerusalem, and there's the Jews that live in West Jerusalem. It will be split, and West Jerusalem will be protected, and Kli will be saved. Eldad and Medad, the two that were born from that were Moshe Rabbeinu's brothers and Aaron's brothers, either from the mother's side or from the father's side, or maybe not altogether, according to the third shot. That was their navius. Their navius was that Moshe will die. Yeshua will leave. But in the end, the Melech HaMoshiach will stand on the, on the hills of Yerushalayim and the rest of the world will bow down to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu but Hashem Echad. Hashem says, Remember, I am always Rachamin In the worst things in the world, it's a plan. It's a major plan. But I am Yudke Vavke. May we all be zeicher to see this, B'koroi, Mamesh, Wimheri, Amenu Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.